Thanks, brother. Uh, If you have your Bibles, get those out and turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. Would love for you to to follow along, although I will say we're not going to camp out in this one place quite as much as we normally would as we enter this uh, New Year sermon series here in January. Uh, But turn with me, Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read the uh, verses 14 to roughly uh, 21 together here in a moment. Um, I have never been very good with money. Um, I see Meredith up there. She knows that this is true. It's something that I'm working on. Uh, I've never been great with money. As a kid, I'd make an allowance for mowing the lawn, and then that next weekend, I would go spend it on Pokemon cards and new CDs for for my Walkman. I worked throughout high school to fund uh, not college, but uh, new basketball shoes and football jerseys and stereo upgrades to my car. Uh, In college, the only reason that I passed my economics class was because my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Nikki, helped me to take my final exam. Uh, Don't ask me if it was open book or not. I can only confess so many sins at once to you, okay? Uh, I remember one time, junior year, I was a little... um, I was in a little fender bender. I was driving my Jeep. This poor lady was in her sedan, and so I came away with it with just a couple scratches on the, on the fender. Everything was all good. But her insurance company wrote me, this dumb 21-year-old college student, a check for $3,000. Now, if there was one thing I learned from my economics class, it was that my money could do more if it wasn't just collecting dust in a basic savings account. So I went and promptly invested it like an adult in Chick-fil-A sandwiches and cases of Natty Light. Not proud of this. That month, that money was gone in about a month, which was unfortunate because I didn't see all the car repairs around the corner that were going to uh, take everything that I had. And then I started to get serious about following Jesus, and I went to a Christian conference in Atlanta, Georgia, called Passion uh, for, for college students. And it was there in a packed-out convention center that I heard a life-changing sermon from uh, a pastor named David Platt author of the book Radical. And whether or not it was his intention, I came away believing that money is not just the root of all kinds of evil, like the Bible says, money is the root of all evil. I remember leaving with this deep-seated resentment towards anybody who would dare to live in the suburbs. Ugh. Spending, saving, investing money in any way that benefits you or your family is a good sign that you are not Christian. And if you live in a house with a white picket fence, you're definitely going to hell. I came away believing that if I love Jesus, I should liquidate all my assets, all $214 worth of my assets, give it to the poor, and go live as a missionary with the have-nots of the world. And then, after a few years of being hopelessly broke, I discovered Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey, the Christian radio host and financial advisor, and whether or not it was his intention... I came away believing that if I obeyed God rightly, that he would bless me with wealth. I learned that if I really loved Jesus, I'd get a stable career with upward mobility, make lots of money, maintain a large emergency fund, buy a house in cash, invest heavily in my 401k and a separate Roth IRA, and especially some real estate, because real property is uh, more staying power than the stock market. Make sure to be as frugal and stingy as possible so that by living like no one else now, I can live like no one else later when I'm a multimillionaire and can retire to the golf course every weekend. Now we're talking. 
Friends, there are as many opinions on how to handle your money, your wealth, as there are dollar bills. And there's more getting printed every day. And it can be overwhelming when we're trying to figure this out as Christians, especially when not all of these perspectives fully appreciate the full range of biblical teaching on the topic, not to mention uh, take into account the diverse and complicated situations that human beings encounter living in a broken world. I, I don't mean to criticize Dave Ramsey or David Platt or even dumb college students, uh, but simply illustrate that it's complicated. And as much as we would prefer it this way, God has not given us a formulaic, one-size-fits-all rule book on what to do with our money. Now, he certainly speaks a lot about it, as we'll see this morning, but he gives us principles. God gives us uh, warnings and promises. He reveals his character. He, he changes our hearts and then calls us to, to prayerfully engage all of those things as we discern what he wants us to do with the resources that he's given us in the, in the context and the season that he's placed us in. In a phrase, he, he calls us to wisdom with our wealth. Wisdom with our wealth. And in a word, he calls us to stewardship. Stewardship. And that's the topic of our, our January sermon series, which we are creatively titling Stewards. Okay? Each January, we discuss spiritual disciplines, spiritual formation, spiritual habits from a different angle. And this year, we're going to attempt to answer the question, what spiritual practices, what spiritual habits will contribute to faithful stewardship of the resources that God has given us for his glory and for the good of the people that he's put around us? Uh, this morning, we're going to take a 30,000-foot look at stewardship broadly, and then the re remaining weeks, we're going to cover uh, contentment, uh, which is kind of another word for frugality, uh, and then we're going to cover generosity. And then tithing, okay? What does that mean? Contentment, generosity, and tithing. But before we get any further, let me read our passage. I really just want this to be hovering in the back of your mind as I zoom out and set the stage for us. So this is Matthew chapter 25. Uh, we're going to read verses 14 to 21 together. This is Jesus talking about what it looks like to wait for his return. This is Jesus talking about what it looks like for us to wait for his return. He says this, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey. And the picture there is, is Jesus going on a journey to return to his father to prepare a place for us. Who called his servants or bond servants or slaves and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. This is the word of the living God. 
May the Spirit write its eternal truths upon our hearts. Stewardship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do two things this morning, it's, it, and maybe in some ways it's going to feel like uh, two different sermons. But for, first thing I want to do is kind of zoom out and set the stage. What are we talking about? We're talking about stewardship, okay? And then I want to zoom back into the passage and, and see a picture of stewardship lived out, uh, okay? So we're going to set the stage, and then we're going to see a picture of stewardship. So let's zoom out for a minute. Setting the stage, um, first I want us to consider because this is informative for us, but why is it so hard for us to talk about money, right? We don't like to talk about money. Maybe you've seen this in your relationships. You, Someone gets a promotion or a raise, and they're telling you about it, but they, they very rarely tell you how much uh, the raise is, right? Nobody wants to talk about money. Why is it hard for us to talk about it, and especially to talk about it in church? Well, I think one reason is because we don't trust others. We don't trust people, and we certainly don't trust leaders, Right? And I think often that's for good reason. I, I empathize with that. Uh, I was part of a church once that talked about money at length, just about every single week. And it, and it got weird, right? It got weird. Uh, whether, whether it's pastors just trying to coerce you for more money for the church or dishonest salesmen or even at times our own family and friends, we know that people are prone to manipulate and take advantage of other people, especially when it comes to money. So we keep our, we, we keep our checkbooks close to the chest. And I'm sensitive to this. I don't want anybody to misunderstand me or to think that that's what we're doing. And so we very rarely talk about money. I think in the entire life of South City, we've maybe preached one sermon that was related to money. And, 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 but, I, but I realize that if I decide what to talk about based on whether or not you're going to misunderstand me, that I probably wouldn't have much to say at all. Right? God speaks to every area of human life, and he has no problem making us uncomfortable. So we go there. I think it's also hard for us to talk about money because we're, we can be embarrassed about it. Maybe we don't have a lot of it, and that's embarrassing. Maybe we've mishandled it. We got a lot of debt, and that's embarrassing. I don't want to talk about that. But maybe you're on the other side of it, and you have a lot of money, and that's kind of embarrassing in a different way. I don't want people to know how much money is in my savings account. I don't, I, don't want to know, I don't want people to know how much is in my 401K. That maybe they'll think that, I, that I'm selfish and that I don't give enough money. That's kind of embarrassing. Maybe that embarrassment that you feel is a check engine light, that, that maybe something's not going right under the hood, right? It's something to, to consider, uh, that, that maybe, we, maybe we should talk about it. Maybe we should be more open about our finances. Maybe that would be good for us. Maybe it would produce a little bit of humility in our lives. So it's hard, but it's important. Why is it important? Well, money is a powerful tool for worship. It's a powerful tool for worship. Money has a tether that's connected to your heart. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Billy, Billy Graham once said, uh, I thought about doing the, impression, the Billy Graham impression, but I'm not, I'm not going to embarrass myself. But he said, tell me what you think about money, and I will tell you what you think about God. For the two are closely related. A man's heart is closer to his wallet than anything else. I think oftentimes your bank statement says more about what you worship than your statement of faith. 
This is one reason why Jesus was always throwing down with the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day. They said a lot of the right stuff on, on paper. They did a lot of the right stuff, but their hearts were far from God. And in order to expose that, Jesus pointed at how they handled their money. As we read in 1 Timothy 6, 10, money is the root of all kinds of evil. There's a, a tether to our hearts. Like nuclear energy, money is dangerous because it's powerful. But if it's powerful, it can also be a great tool in, in the hands of, of wise and godly stewards. Which is why, depending on your analysis, uh, money is one of the most talked about uh, topics in the Bible. It, it's the second or third most referenced topic in the Bible. Think about that, money. Money and what we do with our money. Second or third most referenced topic in the Bible. There's over 2,000 verses about money in the Bible. Three of the ten commandments reference money, either directly or indirectly. Close to 20% of everything that Jesus taught was about money. Think about that. 20% of everything that Jesus taught was about money. This is why in her Forbes article titled, Is the Bible the Ultimate Financial Guide? Cheryl Nash quotes a Wall Street investor who says, whether or not you're a religious person, the Bible is an excellent financial advisor. So, just to summarize that point, we don't like to talk about it because we have a distrust of people and maybe we feel a little embarrassed, but we should because God talks about it and he talks about it a lot. Money can be a, a powerful tyrant demanding false worship and anxiety, or it can be a powerful tool for worship and for building God's kingdom. And so in love, God addresses it head on. And what does he say? What does God say about our wealth? Let me give you a little biblical flyover. We're still setting the stage here, moving from 30,000 feet to, to 10,000 feet. Think about Genesis. Think about Genesis for a moment. God creates human beings in his image, and he creates them to be stewards. He, he placed them in a world teeming with life, brimming with potential, rich in resources. The, the author of Genesis goes to, to great lengths to show how many precious metals and resources and stones there were in, in the garden that, that Adam and Eve were placed in. It was rich in resources. God gave them this blessing. And then it says in Genesis 1.28, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, kind of like that multiplication there that we saw in, in uh, the parable of the, the talents. Here, of course, talking about multiplication of people, but I think also multiplication of the, the glory and the blessings of God. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, rule over that which I have given to you. A steward is just a manager of someone else's resources. Adam and Eve were the first stewards. They were given the world. They were given the Garden of Eden. And God said, rule over it, manage it, use it for my glory. Stewardship is the, the management of God's resources according to his character for his glory and the good of our neighbor. It's, it's the management of God's resources according to his character for his glory and the good of our Neighbor, And those resources can, can include anything from, from our bodies to our personalities to our, to our gifts to our friendships to our children to our church, cars, houses, money. Everything that we are, everything that we are and everything that we have is to be used for God's glory and, and the good of the people around us. 
And so stewardship is really just said simply, it's how we manage God's stuff. It's how we manage God's stuff. And part of what it means to be human is, is to be a steward over the things that God has entrusted to you. As you move through the story of the scriptures, you go from creation to these covenants. And as the story progresses, God forms covenants with the nation of Israel, who were like the people of God in infancy, leading, leading up to Jesus, who helps the people of God grow up and expand to include people of every nation. And he makes them a promise that now applies to the church. And he says that he will bless us that we might be a blessing to the world. That the glory of the Lord would cover the earth and that people would come to know the goodness of our God. He says in Deuteronomy 8, 18, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. So that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. What was the covenant that he swore to their fathers? It was the covenant to, to Abraham. That he would bless them so that they would be a blessing to the world. So in other words, God blesses you. He gives you power to gain wealth so that you would be a blessing to the nations. But then, of course, the people of God fail. They forget God. They use their wealth to build themselves up and oppress others. So then God turns around, gives them a taste of their own medicine. Then they're taken captive by nations wealthier and more powerful than them. But because God is faithful to keep his promises... And to fulfill his mission, Jesus comes on the scene, right? You move creation, covenant, Christ. Christ comes on the scene, the second member of the divine trinity. He, he set his, his glory, his, his riches, his, his wealth, his status aside to come down into the, to the human squalor in which we live, to take our station up as his own. He was the friend of, of both rich tax collectors and poor sinners and prostitutes. His disciples were made up of wealthy businessmen and blue-collar workers. He died between two poor thieves and was buried in a rich man's tomb. And he died to pay the debt that, that we owed. All of us in our sinful state have robbed God. We've taken that which God has entrusted to us, whether it be our bodies, our, our minds, our, our resources, our relationships, and we've, we've used them and we've abused them for our own good. We've robbed God. And we owe him the debt of our lives. And so Jesus came as a worthy representative for us, as a human being, to pay the debt that we owed. He, he purchased us and our freedom with his own blood on the cross. That, that we could be set free, that the score could be settled, that the accounts could be settled, that, that we could be clear and balanced with God, that we could have peace with God. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And now through Christ, through faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. The accounts are settled. We are no longer indebted to him. We're filled with the spirit. And we're invited to participate in his mission, which is a beautiful thing. God to us is no longer an enemy, 
He's no longer a harsh taskmaster, but he's father and, and friend, and he invites all of us to, to come to work with him and participate in his family business. He gives us changed hearts so that we can actually do that, not just from a place of duty, but because we, we joyfully want to participate with our, with our father. That's why we can't just come to the Bible as a, as a financial guide. God is in the business of changing hearts and helping us to participate in his mission. Without those changed hearts through the gospel, what we do doesn't really mean anything. As Paul says, if I give up everything that I have but have not love, it's pointless. And this is exactly what we see in the church. As we move from, from Christ to the church, Acts 4.32, no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but shared all things in common. Nobody considered that their possessions were their own, but they shared all things in common. It's a beautiful picture. So, to summarize that, what does God say about it? From creation to the covenants to, to Christ, now the church, God has made us and saved us to be stewards of the grace that he has given to us. Not for our good alone, but for his glory and the good of the people that he places in our lives and spheres of influence. And, and seeing that big picture helps us to avoid the two main dangers when it comes to wealth. There, you, can, you can crash your car on either side of the road, right? And oftentimes we go in one ditch and then like I did when I was, when I was younger, I recorrected down into the other ditch. And the, and the two ditches that you can fall into that I think this, this whole picture helps us to avoid are asceticism and materialism. Asceticism and materialism. Those are big words, but, but you can get this. Asceticism says that financial wealth is bad. It's evil. The stuff of life, the stuff of, of this world, the material stuff is, is not good. And so what we need to do is just steer clear of it altogether. We should all become monks, right? We should all become monks. God only cares about the spiritual things and not the material things. This would be like David Platt's radical perspective on steroids. And, and this appeals to us. I'll tell you, it appeals to me. And I think in one, re one reason it, it appeals to me is because it, it makes us feel better when we don't have a lot of financial resources. It's like, ah, it doesn't matter anyways. God doesn't care about that stuff. It, it, it's also appealing because it doesn't require the, the hard work of discernment of what to do with our wealth. We just say, ah, God, God doesn't actually care about this stuff. He cares about the spiritual stuff. It doesn't actually matter what I do with this worldly stuff. But then that doesn't actually require us to, to engage and to be thoughtful, maybe to be repentant and to work hard to manage our resources in a way that honors God. It's kind of a toss away, right? We just, we just shirk the responsibility. Asceticism. But of course, God gives you the power to get wealth. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, James 1.17. And he gives us these things to be used. When stewarded properly, our money can be used to plant churches, adopt children, care for widows, feed the hungry, build schools, build God-honoring businesses, translate Bibles, fund missionaries, forge relationships, build community, express beauty and art, 
create opportunities for others, gives future generations more resources to, to flourish in the kingdom of God, in the mission of God in their time. Jesus came, died, rose from the dead, not so that we would be teleported out of this world, but so that we could have peace with God and then work alongside him to use what he has given to us to change people's lives, both here and now and for eternity. So we want to avoid asceticism, but then we also don't want to overcorrect into the other ditch and make too much of the stuff that God has given to us and fall into materialism. Materialism is the view that the good life comes from having and consuming as much stuff as possible. It assigns ultimate value to the stuff of this world. Specifically stuff that doesn't last for eternity, like relationships. Relationships last for eternity. Spiritual life lasts for eternity. But again, this would be foolish. It wouldn't just be evil, it would be foolish. It's a bad investment strategy, right? You've never seen a U-Haul towing, uh, I'm sorry, this is, uh, um, who is it? Um, who's the money guy? It'll be, uh, now I forget it. I forgot the, I forgot the joke. Randy Alcorn, Randy Alcorn says, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It's a bad investment strategy. 1 Timothy 6.17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything we have, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Jesus says, do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Materialism is like spending a bunch of money to renovate a hotel room that you're only staying in for a few nights. It's a, it's a bad strategy. You're not taking any of it with you. Our wealth is meant to be two things. It's meant to be passed on or passed down. Our wealth is meant to be passed on or passed down that more people can experience the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. As Jim Elliott says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. So, summary, we've set the stage. While talking about money makes us uncomfortable, God addresses it head on because it can be a powerful tool for worship and kingdom building. As we look at the big picture from creation to the covenants to Christ and now the church, God has made us and saved us to participate in his mission, stewarding, using, managing whatever he has given us in the wisest way possible according to his character for his glory and the good of others. And this helps us to avoid the twin dangers of asceticism on the one hand and materialism on the other, keeps us on the path of faithful stewardship and it's here that we'll land the plane. Let's go back to what I read a moment ago. I really just wanna highlight two quick things, but, but let's read it again as we have this picture of, of stewardship in our minds. Matthew 25 verses uh, 14 to 21. I'm just gonna make a couple comments and then we're gonna close. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. 
the one he gave five, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who received the five at once traded them and made five talents more. So also he who had two traded made two talents more. The one who had received the one talent dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And when he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, said, Master, you've delivered me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. I've multiplied it. And his master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. There's a lot of things that we could look at here in this passage, a lot of things that we could talk about. We could talk about how good stewardship requires risk. Requires risk. That's what they were doing. They were trading. They were investing. They were risking what the master had given them. We could talk about how important it is to multiply what God has given to us. Not to bury it in the ground, but to make something of it. To multiply it. We could talk about hard work. Later, as he rebukes the, the servant who didn't multiply it, he calls him lazy. Right. So this, this multiplication, this investing, this risk taking requires hard work. We could talk about delayed gratification. Right? These, these guys are preparing for eternity, preparing for the next life, preparing for the master's return. And so they're doing something now that's going to affect them later. It's not immediate gratification, it's delayed gratification. We could talk about trust in the master, right? The one who didn't do anything with his resources didn't trust the heart of the master. But the ones who trusted the master, the ones who trusted who God was, actually did something with it, right? They were, they were free to risk. Because they, they trusted God. But what I want to point out here, the, the main thing that I want to leave you with as you go, is knowing who your resources belong to. Knowing who your resources belong to. Look at two words. The first here in verse 14. They're both in verse 14. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. His servants. That word is bond servants. Doulos could also be translated slaves, not, not to be confused with, with kind of the American uh, slavery uh, in our past, but still nevertheless a, a meaningful uh, ownership of one to another, this, this indentured servitude. These servants belonged to the master. They were slaves. And then look at this, look at this next word there. At the end of the verse, entrusted to them, what? His property. His property. You've got a group of slaves, and the master entrusts to them his own property. Friends, the reason why stewardship matters is because everything that you have belongs to God. He owns it. And he owns you. If you're a Christian this morning, if you love Jesus, follow Jesus, have been transformed by Jesus, are part of the family of God, hear me. You are a slave to Christ. He owns your life. You belong to him. And everything that you have is his property. God owns everything and God owns you 
Now, this might be uncomfortable. We don't like this. We like our freedom. But when you come to know how good God is, how precious God is, how, how liberating God is, how kind our King is and gracious our King Jesus is, this is the greatest news imaginable. True freedom comes from slavery to Christ. Slavery from Christ is just, uh, I'm sorry, freedom from Christ is just slavery to yourself and to your stuff. Slavery to Christ is true freedom. Freedom from Christ is just slavery to your sin. Slavery to Christ is, is freedom. And this is the picture that we have here. That we are not our own. Our stuff is not our own. Everything that he has given to you is on loan. It doesn't belong to you. Your money, friends, what is in your Wells Fargo account, what is in your 401k is not yours. It doesn't belong to you. Your house is not actually yours. It doesn't belong to you. Your children are not yours. They don't belong to you. Your stuff, your resources, your, your bodies, your church does not belong to you. God owns everything. It is all his by right. You are his by right because he paid for you with the hefty price of his own blood. He, he purchased your life. He purchased your soul. He purchased your freedom. He brought you into relationship with him. You belong to him because he bought you with his blood. And everything that you have is his. We think our stuff, our wealth, our gifts, our abilities, our families, our jobs, our church is all about us. And sure, we might believe that God exists. We might even believe that God has given us these things, that it comes from him, but he has nevertheless given it to us, given it to me, for me, my stuff, my wealth, my relationships is for my benefit, my comfort, my satisfaction. And as soon as my stuff, my wealth, my relationships, my church stop meeting my felt needs, satisfying my wants, then I become discontent, embittered, frustrated with God, and those around me, and I shake my fist for something more, something different. Like a black hole, we suck the celestial blessings of God into ourselves. But God has not given you what he has given you and placed you where he has placed you for your sake alone, but so that you can be a blessing and create opportunities for the people around you. So that you can play your role on the team and participate in his mission, which is an unbelievable privilege. And the good news is that when, like Jesus, you loosen your grip on what was never yours in the first place, God will give you something better in return. A true and lasting satisfaction that comes from his spirit who is ever with you, not your stuff or your circumstances, which is subject to change. 
And when that happens, this joy that he invites us into there in verse 21, your joy is invincible when we view that which we have as not our own, but belonging to God. Your joy, friends, is invincible. So what do we do with this? Two quick things. The first is to, well, really the, the first is just to, to, let, to let that land, right? To, to really embrace the fact that what you have is not yours and be grateful for that and be grateful that God has purchased you and that you belong to him. And then practically speaking, as we move on from here, to, we, we want to give you practical action steps as you go, go on from these uh, sermons. And the, the first is to take inventory. Take inventory of what you have. Okay, this is like the first step of budgeting is to know what you have. Take inventory of what you have. And maybe you have a budget. Maybe that's something that you do. I would just encourage you to, even devotionally, take some time and write down, kind of like we prayed this morning, write down the things that God has given you. Write down the gifts that you have, the abilities that you have. Write down the resources that he's given you. Reflect on them. Take inventory on what he has given you. I'll tell you, that's a, that's a great remedy for, um, for a complaining heart. A great remedy for a complaining heart is to take some time and just think about all the things that God has given you, all the ways that he's blessed you. Take inventory. We can't steward the resources if we don't know what the resources are. So take inventory on what you have. And maybe for you, that's starting a budget if you don't budget, right? Know what's coming in so that you can figure out what to do with it, okay? Take inventory on what you have. And then the second thing, which is more difficult, is to talk about it. Talk about it talk about it. God talks about it. We should talk about it. We should talk about it from the pulpit. We should talk about it in our, in our communities, in our friendships. We shouldn't be ashamed to talk about where we're at financially. Hey, I, uh, I'm getting this new job. I'm getting a raise. I'm going to be bringing in about 10,000 more a year. I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. What do you think? Can you give me some, can you give me some advice? Right? Hey man, I've like made some mistakes. I'm like $10,000 in credit card debt, like, I don't know what to do. What should I do? Can you help me? Right? Let's, let's talk about it. Let's be a little bit more open about our finances so that we can encourage one another, speak the gospel to one another, and provide counsel and encouragement and advice and what to do with the resources that God has given us. Let's talk about it. And that shouldn't make us feel ashamed or bashful because none of it is ours anyways. It doesn't belong to us. So, friends, the good life, the life of flourishing, the life that God designed you for is a life of stewardship where he entrusts you with his property so that we can use it and multiply it for the good of others. And this is, this is great, great news because when we loosen our grip on that which was never ours in the first place, what we get in return is invincible, everlasting joy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being a, a good master, a good Lord, a good king. 
Though you are Lord, you do not lord over us with a heavy hand. You stoop down to bear us up. You you clear our debts. You forgive our sins. You bless us with more than we deserve. And you are always with us, walking with us graciously, sympathetically, leading us from one step to the next. So regardless of where we are financially, Lord, I pray that we would see you as as being in that with us, see you as the, as the source of everything that we have, and just be grateful that, that we're not on our own, but that we belong to you. And I pray, Lord, that we would not be afraid, that we would not, be, that we would not cower away from you. The, the, the one uh, servant who buried the talent in the ground was afraid. I pray that we would not be afraid of you but that we'd be open with you, that we would trust you, that we would ask for your help because you have a a, a beautiful purpose for the things that you have given to us. I pray that we would let you in and let others in, that when we look at our money, we would always be thinking about what it looks like to advance your kingdom. Ultimately, Lord, I ask Jesus that you would just change our hearts that we would see you as the one who, though you were rich, became poor for our sake, that by your poverty we might become rich and that our hearts would be changed and as a result would overflow in generosity and a desire to be good stewards over that which you have entrusted to us for a short time. Would you do that by the power of your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. we come once again to the table.